in a world gone mad. Only rationality and common sense can save it. It's Andrew and Jerry Save the World with your hosts, Andrew Langer and Jerry Rogers. And now, here's Andrew and Jerry. Welcome to another episode of Andrew and Jerry Save the World. I am Andrew Langer. And Jerry Rogers. And uh, we are talking today, we are talking today about the uh, the Supreme Court uh, and about the powers of the Supreme Court and about the Supreme Court and COVID. We're doing this, uh, as uh, as, uh, I, I, as I'm going to say, uh, just so you all know, we are recording this on Tuesday morning, right? It's the, it's the 11th, Jerry. It's the 11th it, of January. It is indeed. Tuesday morning, the 11th of January, three days after Elvis Presley's birthday. And we're going to we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the untimely passing of Bob Saget at the end of the show today. But uh, uh, this is several days after the emergency oral arguments in the challenge to the Biden administration's uh, covid vaccination mandates, the various mandates. Um, And as of yet, we do not have a decision. So if you are watching this or listening to this and the decision is out, this is how we're going to be talking about the issue uh, absent a decision. But we're really going to talk about the high court. We're going to talk about some of the very disturbing things that happened with the high court. In fact, let me tee it up here before we get to the rip from the headlines, because we're going to play this. Um, I'm going to talk about about this. Oh, and I think I don't think I said this. We're going to be joined uh, by Ilya Shapiro, who is a a, a vice president with the Cato Institute. He's the director of the Robert Levy Center for Constitutional Studies, uh, the author of a book called Supreme Disorder. Um, And we're going to talk to him about this in our uh, expert advice segment, because we're finally getting back to the expert advice segment. But the reason why we're doing this, uh, Jerry and I had a conversation over the weekend uh, actually, it was, I guess, yesterday morning, Jerry, uh, and I, we talked about the arguments. We talked about your show a little bit on Sunday, and I expressed my deep and abiding concern that some that folks were focused on all the misinformation. We're going to talk about the misinformation, but I was deeply troubled by the fact that the Supreme Court shouldn't even be dealing with right. the fact set that's in front I, of I, I called you Sunday, and I said yeah. to you, uh, that uh, that just because the policy is good, and I'm not saying that mandate is good policy, but we want people to be healthy. Uh, we want people to um, uh, to uh, not suffer uh, serious symptoms or hospitalization when it comes to COVID. Those are things that we want, we desire. Uh, just because we want those things doesn't mean that this administration has the power to just simply wave its hand and make it so. Uh, it also doesn't mean that Congress should uh, should uh, should waive its responsibilities and duties in terms of health policy. And the courts get involved here. The bottom line, and I know we'll have a bottom line segment later, but the bottom line is is that this whole vaccine mandate uh, demonstrates. Uh, the uh, the fact that our whole system uh, is sick uh, and yeah. needs to and needs to be um, needs to be treated well and it's and it's interesting because that's that's exactly what I what I was getting at and why we're doing this so we're going to have ongoing conversations about the Supreme Court sure. but this is deeply troubling because it underscores the real problems I know we're going to talk to Ilya Shapiro about this issue of uh, of selecting Supreme Court justices because 
our side or their side wants specific outcomes in terms of policy debates. Uh, and, and obviously that is not wanted. And I, and I believe that Ilya Shapiro would agree with me on this. But the, this, this issue underscores the problem of justices becoming ideological. And I'm not going to say that one side is worse than the other, but I think the questions speak for themselves in terms of one side engaging in real agendaizing regarding a, a specific wish of this specific executive branch and the other side being um, uh, more adherence to the concepts of the law, right? I mean, I, I, I think you would agree with me here. Uh, yes, and and I, I, I'm not sure I would go so far as to say that um, both sides are equally guilty. I'm not. No, sure no, no. I, I yeah. was, I was, I was saying that Jerry is a way of teeing it up because I really don't believe yeah. that. I, I, yeah. I, I no, I, I think it was very clear that there is one side that is focused on, and and maybe that's what they believe that they should be focused on what's happening in the real world. That the role of the court is to sort of address these inequity issues, it, it, uh, look, and there's another side that is focused on the, the to, law. To, to, to make general, right, to, 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 to make a general statement as to where we are, and that is, that is here. The left, even if the left has good intentions, the left believes uh, that it should rule. Yeah. And that its rule would be better for the people. That if only they were in complete control, uh, this is why... They want to undo the filibuster. This is why they want to pack the court. Uh, this is why uh, they, uh, without without any kind of shame, uh, can uh, be can be untethered from the law, uh, and and because they believe the ends justifies the means. Well, I, or, and and they and and that again, sort of even getting away from the intentions part of it, that they believe that they're that they have the, the that their solutions are better and that they know better than the average right. everyday you know, American and therefore, sorry, go ahead. Let me just do a shout out real quick and you'll appreciate this. So uh, as everyone knows, Andrew and I uh, worked together at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Woo. And I remember uh, Fred Smith talking about the problem of the elites and how, yeah. how the elites uh, feel they have a mandate to rule. And this is why uh, uh, Republican democracy uh, is, is threatened. Uh, and, and, and he said this, he said, look, he said, capitalism for enterprise created wealth. Yeah. You had to work hard. You had to, uh, you had to work the land. You had to uh, uh, work a trade. You had to be an entrepreneur. You had to invent. You had to innovate. Uh, and what happened was all the innovators, all, the, uh, all those who did well uh, and free enterprise lifted them all up, they created wealth. And this wealth went to their children and their children could therefore uh, skip the trade or skip working the land or not be an entrepreneur, not be an innovator or inventor. And they studied and they, and they became experts in philosophy or in some other pursuit. And then, then they looked at the world and saw, well, like plumbers and electricians and innovators and scientists, they're producing something. What do I produce? Well, I produce, I produce uh, my will. I produce uh, good ideas, and my ideas are pure, and I should rule over the the tradesman, uh, the farmer, uh, the uh, the inventor, the entrepreneur, and that, and that, and that's what happened. We have this, we have this, we have this elite class by virtue of their class status, their wealth, their privilege. They believe they can rule over us, and they believe it is, this. It is interesting because I'm reminded of the quote by John Adams, um, and I just pulled it up. 
um, um, I must study politics and war that my sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. My sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture in order to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, yeah, music, <laughs> architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's funny because I'm, I'm, it, I, I first heard that anyway, I first heard that quote in a novel that I read in the 1980s, 1990s, um, uh, written by David Morrell, a, a, a book that uh, was turned into a miniseries called the Brotherhood of the Rose in which that, that plays a role. Um, so the, the point of today's show is to talk about the Supreme court and, and to talk about the Supreme Court in the context of this OSHA mandate argument, but also to talk about the Supreme Court and its role in, in, in this sickness of governance, right? Which is what Jerry is talking about uh, and how we might turn around and go about and, and fix it. And to that end, Jerry, uh, let's go right into our Ripped from the Headlines segment. Ripped from the Headlines. I'm telling you, Jerry, that uh, that bumper is never going to get old, that Rick from the Headlines bumper. Um, and so let's start here because I, I do have audio and I'm going to put, for those of you watching, I'm putting my glasses back on. Uh, <laughs> I do have audio here. So to, so to set this up, the headlines, obviously, right? Um, Friday was this emergency oral argument in front of the Supreme Court. And all at once, the world became a buzz as very outlandish things were being said. Uh, in fact, I'm going to say this, Jerry, if you were not talking about this, if you were, for instance, a talk radio host and you were not talking about this on Saturday morning, what business do you have being on the radio? That's all I'm going to say about that, Jerry, um, because I know you talked about this on Sunday. Well, we did. It was a big part of our conversation on, on, on Sunday, because, again, I was I was and again. I shouldn't be surprised uh, in how. Uh, misinformed uh, uh, members of the left, how misinformed they are. Uh, but we'll start here, right? Uh, Ms. Sotomayor, it's up on the screen here. Sotomayor yep. uh, uh, said things that were plainly untrue. Uh, over 100,000 children uh, uh, are infected with this, uh, with this virus, with COVID. Uh, hospitalizations and ventilators. Uh, no. I mean, my goodness, since this has happened, since COVID, you know, uh, going on three years now started, uh, ab about 86,000, 87,000 children ha have been hospitalized, yeah. uh, but, but in many instances, mild. Uh, again, there is no, uh, there is no uh, pandemic of the very young. And if you look at the CDC numbers, uh, it, it's, it's essentially at zero in well, terms let's, of, let's, of let's talk fatality. about this, what the CDC had to say. I had sure. uh, I, uh, stopped to share for a second because I realized I hadn't shared the sound uh, here is here. You know, how, how hard must it be? I mean, listen, and I, and I'll, and I'll ask a question, a follow-up question to you about this, Jerry. Uh, you know, you are a sitting Supreme court justice and you have the CDC director uh, in a Democrat administration, fact checking you on Fox news. Here's Rochelle Walensky. Uh, with uh, with a uh, Fox News uh, Brett Bear. You, know, you just heard about the U.S. Supreme Court currently deciding the fate of the president's vaccine mandates. In the questioning, Justice Sonia Sotomayor made this statement: "We have over a hundred thousand children, which we've never had before, in in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators." Now. The 
we can find from Friday suggests there are fewer than 3,500 current pediatric hospitalizations from COVID-19. Is that true? Yeah, but, you know, here's what I can tell you about our pediatric hospitalizations now. First of all, the vast majority of children who are in the hospital are unvaccinated. And for those children who are not eligible for vaccination, we do know that they are most likely to get sick with COVID if their family members aren't vaccinated. So the most important thing we can do for those children to keep them out of the hospital is to vaccinate them and to vaccinate their family members around them. Understood. But the Oh, hold on. It's not 100,000. It's roughly 3,500 in hospitals now. It, yes, there are, there are. And in fact, what I will say is while pediatric hospitalizations are rising, they're still about 15-fold less than hospitalizations of our older age, age demographic. All right. So, so you got that. But, but, but there's, there's, all, there's all kinds of wrong here. I, yes, um, and I, 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 I mean, it, and it's, not, it, it's not just like currently with the Omicron variant, there's 3,500. Uh, pediatric uh, hospitalizations. Uh, we know that uh, from Dr. Fauci himself, uh, uh, that there are children in the hospital uh, with COVID, not because of COVID, number one. Yeah. Number two, she's wrong. And I want to, and she's wrong on the science. And I think this is, uh, this is something that we have to say. Uh, this idea that you must get your child vaccinated uh, is not the science. And I will, and I will present to you myriad uh, uh, experts uh, uh, from 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 Eric Hargan, the former uh, uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, to Zoll Zinberg, who's a physician uh, and an expert, uh, to Marty McCary, a physician, Johns Hopkins. No, the science doesn't say get your child vaccinated. Uh, in fact, it's probably best your five, six, seven-year-old to not get them vaccinated because they are under no serious threat uh, from uh, from COVID-19 and uh, the EFDA. And this is what uh, and I'm sorry to 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 to, to rant here, but uh, no, rant away. Uh, the, the way in which the uh, this again, the emergency authorization for the child uh, vaccination was uh, was pushed forward uh, has many up in arms. It wasn't yeah. unanimous. Uh, uh, they they rushed it. It was in, in great haste. Uh, and 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 we don't know yet the impact of these vaccines on children. Let me say this one last thing. Yeah, please. There have been over 1 million, 1 million, Andrew, uh, adverse effects of the vaccine. 21,000 Americans have died from this vaccine. And according to Columbia University, a study, uh, uh, when it comes to reporting adverse effects and deaths, um, you really have to multiply it uh, because it's underreported. Uh, and also with the 21,000 deaths, it doesn't include uh, a cardiac arrest or stroke. My point is this. Yeah, I'm vaccinated. You're vaccinated. I'm pro-vax. I'm pro-COVID vaccination. But I will take that risk on myself. The risk of getting the vaccine versus the risk of being unvaccinated. To me, the risk risk analysis is 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 is, is simple. Get vaccinated. I don't want to be a, on a ventilator, right? And, and, but and for you your know, children, but, but last point, yeah. for your children, I'm not willing to put Liam uh, uh I'm not willing to risk his life well, especially over in this, light of this idea of right and let's 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 you know, let's And I'm off I'm, I'm sorry. I, I went I, no, I went no, off you're I went fine. off the No, you're fine. I mean, but, but let's for crunching numbers here, right? And listening to what Rochelle Walensky said, the CDC director herself said, right? So there are 3,500 kids in the hospital. She said the vast majority of which 
um, are are unvaccinated. So she's saying that that out of however, what do we say that there are eighty five thousand people who are hospitalized right now? uh, Since this began three years, we're into year three, eighty five thousand children have have seen have seen the hospital. Okay. In but total, are, over three but years. My point is, my point she's is that saying, Sotomayor was saying there are a hundred thousand currently. Right. I understand thirty five hundred. My 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 point my point is this though. So Rochelle Walensky is saying that uh, she is talking about the currently vaccinated, right? I mean, I guess I, I just got rid of that. That. that well, no. Here's my, what she was saying. Yeah. She 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 wants to fortify a narrative. Uh, she wants to fortify this narrative, get vaccinated, get vaccinated. And here's the problem with that, Andrew. We should be talking about treatments and therapeutics no, of course, and of antibody, course, of course. antibody I, therapy. And we've we've done that. We've done that. We've done that segment. My, my, my point is this, though. My point is that we're talking about such a ridiculously low number that it gets right. to your point that if the parents are vaccinated, then it, it that that helps decrease the risk to children who are already at a low risk. But exactly I, want, right. I, I want to go here because we we talk we talk about this. We talk about trust and we have Sotomayor. Essentially, we have the CDC, you know, now changing guidance and and it is dis, it is uh, uh, discouraging people. It is it is um, making the left nervous. Here is Sonny Hostin on The View uh, uh, talking about this. I, I found I found this fascinating. I'm really concerned about this new CDC guidance. I know that the science is evolving. I know that our knowledge is evolving. But now the CDC is saying that, you know, after five days of being infected, you don't have to test negative, but you have to, you can go out, you can go back to work and just wear a mask. I I don't believe that. I think that after five days, and if you're not testing, you can certainly still be infectious and you can certainly still spread the virus. So, so Jerry... I believe the science, so long as it comports with what right, exactly right, right. And uh, and 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 here's the thing. Fascinating. Well, you look, look. The yeah. CDC guidelines. Uh, Catherine Wu, who is a um, yeah. uh, author writer uh, at the Atlantic, so a left a left of center uh, uh, journal, uh, said that the CDC uh, uh, CDC uh, guidelines and the CDC in general right now is an S show. Yeah. yeah and and so and it is, and and that's because the CDC. Uh, has focused on politics and ideology and not medicine and not not yeah. medical progress. And this is a very serious problem. Look, uh, just we, we know we know that last year the NIH um, uh, conducted uh, just under 300 studies, 300 studies on the uh, on racial disparities uh, vis-a-vis COVID yeah. and, and medicine. And only four or three, three or four studies on the origins of COVID. It, it, it tells you that, look, the FDA just recently put out new guidelines uh, saying that, uh, that your race needs to be considered first yeah. uh, when, when medical centers and medical groups are offering COVID care. Now, here, here, here's how we bring this back to the Supreme Court. And then I because I, I also I pulled up uh, Justice Breyer because we've got to talk about that, too. And but see, the problem is, is that uh, Justice Sotomayor uh, is tuned into the politics of this. Yes. And she should be concerned Absolutely. about the law. And she's the law. again, the left has created this this bubble where forget the law, forget even right and wrong. Uh, we have to push our narrative. This is what they do. 
even again, Nancy Pelosi talking about uh, talking about these issues. She said we have to protect the narrative. This is insanity. It's insanity well, to me. And, 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 and it's insanity because that's the end. Re- the end result is comments like this from Justice Stephen Breyer. But my question really is what I'd like to turn this to is uh, stay. You heard what I asked. I mean, you know, 750 million new cases yesterday or close to that is uh, a lot. I don't mean to be facetious. I don't mean to be facetious, but I'll, I'll just be ignorant and wrong. Yes, 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 yes. Although I, he I mean, he corrected the record, though. Yes, that I know. And, and, and that that in of itself. And that could have been a slip of the tongue. That that is not as bad as Sotomayor again, just collapsing into the false narratives around covid and around the um uh, the the health policy around COVID, uh, and again we haven't even talked about the merits of this yet. Yes, well, then, and 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 that's just it. Well, you know something, and then let's let, we can we don't need to necessarily get into what um, uh, what uh, Peter Ducey and others asked Jen Psaki, but let's talk about this, which is you know the issue of course is now there are there are there are a, a number of different mandates that are at work, and one of the questions is and the, this. I'm not going to say the central question because I think you and I differ as to which is the central question. But part of the issue that was being discussed on Friday was this OSHA mandate and whether the Occupational Safety and Health Act uh, applies in this regard, whether OSHA has the power to do this. And this is uh, this is a big question, um, as they say. It's uh, what do they call this? It is a major question. Um, As the solicitor Louisiana said, major question land. There is the issue of the mandate with regards to healthcare workers who are um, uh, undergirded via uh, CMS, right? And then there is an issue of of military mandates. Go ahead. I see. What have I missed here? Well, look, the the big thing you missed here was that Joe Biden, his administration itself said last summer uh, that it could not impose the federal government could not impose yes um, could not impose a uh, vaccine mandate and so uh, and we'll hear from our guests later so I'll leave it to him but the fact of the matter is is what they're doing here is a workaround and yes. this is and this is part of the problem with with why why our system is sick and needs to be treated and that is we're looking for workarounds Congress we've had look we've been involved now right this administration has been in power. Uh, for a year or just about a year, right? Um, where are the hearings on Capitol Hill on on mandates and on on uh, COVID policy? Where where is the testimony? Uh, where is the debate? Where where is Joe Biden, right? Who likes to make a deal, roll his sleeves up? Where is he talking to congressional leaders on on how to move forward on COVID? In, in, in if 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 he believes the mandate is right and and legal, he's never done it. And OSHA, by the way, for those who don't know, it, it's not even a cabinet level position or department. It is a sub department at the Department of Labor. Yeah, let me hold on. Yeah, let me ask you about. That. Hold on. Let me let me uh, let me let me pull this in because it gets to what you're saying, and I think it's important to play the audio here. Let me share this. Um, here is Anthony Fauci uh, being asked about the vaccine mandate and what the or vaccine mandates for for travel and why they're important. Something else uh, from from the president's interview with with David. Uh, the, the, David asked 
uh, about uh, the vaccine, the lack of a vaccine requirement for air travel. There is no vaccine requirement for domestic air travel in the United States. Um, and, and when the president was asked, should there be one, he said that his team has, has said it's not necessary uh, at this point. Do, do you agree with that? That, that, that there shouldn't be a vaccine requirement for domestic air travel? Well, it depends on what you want to use it for. I mean, vaccine requirements for people coming in from other countries is to prevent newly infected people from getting into the country. A vaccine requirement for a person getting on the plane is just another level of getting people to have a mechanism that would spur them to get vaccinated. Namely, you can't get on a plane unless you're vaccinated, which is just another one of the ways of getting requirements, whatever that might be. So, I mean, anything that could get um, people more vaccinated would be welcome. Anything that would that would get people more vaccinated would be welcome. And this is exactly yeah, what you're talking but, about. And, and, and here's the problem, right? Because if, if you played that clip and, and my 14-year-old sophomore in high school listened to it, uh, or if the average college kid listened to it, for that matter, if 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 most people heard that, they'd be like, yeah, we need to have more people vaccinated. Let's have these requirements. And the problem is, is that um, not if it's illegal, not if it threatens your liberty, not if it's not not if there's no science to back up what you're mandating. The bottom line is this for the vac- for the vaccine, right, is that you can be double vaxxed and boosted and you're still spreading. You can still spread the virus. So the the, the Omicron has made the Supreme Court conversation should be moot because there should be no mandate because people who are vaccinated can spread COVID. Again, I, I saw this on, on social media and it's kind of flip, but because um, everyone likes to say, look, we had the, the polio vaccine and the polio vaccine eradicated polio. And so therefore we should do the same with the uh, COVID vaccine, except with the polio vaccine, I didn't have to get a fourth booster shot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right. At, at some point, during the polio uh, polio vaccine uh, push, if I had to go get a fourth and fifth shot, then I someone would say, "Well, maybe there's something going on here," and, and that's the problem here. We have to this stop. Is, yeah, no, no, go ahead. We have to stop with, with the uh, marginalizing and the discrimination and the mandating uh, and and the pushing forcing of of of, of these mandates, whether it's the uh, uh, vaccine mandate, and again. I want to make my, my, my position here very clear. Uh, the, the OSHA, the way in which this administration pushed this vax man, uh, mandate is untethered from the law. Yeah. And anyone left or right should be outraged by it. The Supreme Court should come back 9-0. Uh, and then there's other parts of this mandate. Like you, you mentioned, there's the, um, there's the health CMS, Medicare, Medicaid uh, mandate uh, that is, in my mind, even more insidious. But we, we can talk about it again uh, more later. So the questions and part of what we're going to talk about with uh, uh, Ilya Shapiro are questions of deference, the limitations on power uh, that uh, that uh, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration has under the OSH Act. What does that really mean? Uh, but I am guided, and and if you spent any time listening to me before, you know that one of the guiding principles in my life, literally. Jerry, I, I mean, I, I at one time had 
a license plate that referenced this Supreme Court case, a 1992 case called New York versus United States. And, and you know, this, is, this was quoted in the Prince case. This is what I pulled up here. This is one of my guiding principles when it comes to governance, when it comes to separation of powers, when it comes to the Constitution. The Constitution protects us from our own best intentions. It divides power among sovereigns and among branches of government precisely so that we might resist the temptation to concentrate power in one location as an expedient solution to the crisis of the day. Right. This is standing Supreme Court case law. Now, it's only from the 1990s, um, New York versus United States. But nevertheless, this again, if this is still the law, then then this should, I would think, be the guiding principle behind this Supreme Court case. Don't you agree? Well, of course. But again, yeah. if, uh, you know, po- uh, I like poker. Um, yeah. If if I, you know, uh, there there are tells. Yes. And Sotomayor, uh, her tell is, is that the law be damned. Yeah. Because, yeah. because we have to get people vaccinated. Yes. And, and, and again, what, what, what and that's where it's yeah. disturbing. Of right? course. Be, because it, if it's it, it, the Supreme court is supposed to be the bulwark, the, the last bastion to, to stand between government power and individual rights. Sure. That's what it's supposed to be. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jerry. No, it's just, again, um, our, our system is broken yeah. and our system is broken, not because the Constitution is broke or because um, there's something broken in our history or you know, in, 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 in our in our uh, our experiment of self-government. What's broken is is uh, the Speaker of the House and yeah. the and the committee chairs. What's broken uh, is the size of the administrative state and the executive, yes. uh, the executive branch. Uh, what's broken uh, is that we have uh, we have too much federal government involved uh, in everyone's lives. Uh, we yeah. should be devolving power back to the oh. states, and- uh, back to state legislatures, back to city councils. Uh, instead, we're moving towards this oligarchy uh, where is- you know, where the president or the administration, at least, uh, can rule by fiat. And this is one of the things we're going to talk about with our guest in a moment, Ilya Shapiro from the Cato Institute, this issue of the police power and just what that means, because there seems to be a real misimpression um, that because there are federal law enforcement agencies, that this means that, and this is different than regulatory agencies, by the way, that this means that the federal government has police power in the same sense. But Jerry, why don't we, I mean, I, I think we've set it up really well sure i think we should bring our bring our guest on for our expert advice segment excellent expert advice yeah so this is our expert advice segment here on andrew and jerry save the world i am very excited to bring on our expert on this supreme court issue his name is Ilya shapiro uh, he is a vice president at the Cato Institute. He is director of the Robert A. Levy Center for Constitutional Studies. He's also the publisher of the Cato Supreme Court Review, and he is the uh, the author of, and once we start talking, I'll pull this up, he's the author of a book called Supreme Disorder, uh, Judicial Nominations and the Politics of America's Highest Court. I actually had Ilya on my radio show right after the the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg as the book was being released. And we we talked about what the, the nomination fight was going to look at. And, and actually, Ilya, to, to start this off, 
one of the things you and I talked about in that interview, and it came back to me over the weekend, which was this idea of the real problem that we have in America of Supreme Court nominees either being uh, offered or opposed because somebody wants a and they want to be able to predict an outcome on a particular issue. Talk about why that's that's dangerous, a dangerous way of looking at things. Well, it's a blurring of law and policy. Uh, Law is supposed to be something different than just what is your preferred uh, policy or political outcome. Uh, In fact, the Constitution is written to protect uh, minority individual rights, things that are beyond uh, the democratic process. And, And so by by nature, the judiciary is a counter-majoritarian institution uh, that's meant to check government in various ways that uh, ideally under our system is supposed to uh, secure and protect our individual liberties. So, um, you know, the politics has always played a role in judicial nominations. You know, even from George Washington's day, he was a politician and he had a, a, a chief justice nominee rejected for that matter. But what's what's different now, and I don't say even like now as in very recent times, but about the last 50 years or so, the modern age, is that judicial philosophy is the way that politics uh, works its way into the nomination process rather than kind of uh, uh, intra-party factions and, and regional concerns and, and, and things like that. So it's a bit of a different dynamic. And then in the, in the made-for-TV and made-for-Twitter world, of course, that, that plays out uh, in, in a different way. Well, let's talk about that issue about policy outcomes with regards to what happened. So, so for folks, we are recording this. I'm going to say this. Normally, I don't, I don't like to peel back behind the curtain, but we're recording this on Tuesday morning, uh, the 11th of, of January, and we had a Supreme Court uh, argument, a, a, an emergency Supreme Court argument on Friday about this vaccine mandate and OSHA. Uh, we had th- the, the the mandate that was that was implemented was supposed to be implemented yesterday, right. and we as yet don't have a decision. Ilya, you have this you have this great piece up. Uh, it's called uh, "Scotus Will Block OSHA Vax Mandate: Limits on Federal Power Still Matter." Uh, that's at Newsweek. Uh, I know Jerry's going to post that over at Real Clear uh, Health. But but before we get into your your feelings of certainty on this, talk about. Friday, but also, why don't we have a why don't we have a decision yet? Yeah, um, from what I understand, and I guess this goes more into health regulatory stuff than than Supreme Court or constitutional law. Um, part of the mandate uh, did go into effect uh, yesterday, uh, but most of it, and specifically the punishments for non-compliance with the vaccine. Uh, mandate uh, in the private sector doesn't uh, go into effect or isn't enforced until February 9th. So I think that that's the real drop dead deadline for uh, the Supreme Court to issue an opinion here. So, so I'm sorry, Jerry, go ahead. I know you have questions here. Well, again, you've asked the first, which is, you know, why, why haven't we uh, seen today a nine zero decision uh, that these uh, that this mandate, the ocean mandate in particular, is is un- unconstitutional. Um, but I'll ask you this, uh, and that is because it was in it, it made it made the more uh, elite uh, uh, commentary, but also the New York Post, and I love the New York Post, but uh, but every man uh, uh, commentary. Uh, I was struck, and I think the average citizen was struck on how. Uh, misinformed the justices were specifically uh, Justice Sotomayor 
again, from the boogie down from the Bronx where Andrew and I uh, are both from. Uh, and, and I love her for, I love her from, for being from the Bronx. But uh, when she said things like a hundred thousand uh, children uh, infected with COVID, and we know that's not true. And in, in fact, the CDC it's closer right now, it's closer to about 3000 uh, when she said that there were children on ventilators uh, and all the rest of it. Uh, she was, she was so misinformed. Do you have a takeaway from that? Is there, is there, is she misinformed? Uh, is she trying to solidify, fortify a narrative or is she in a bubble and therefore uh, doesn't understand the issue? What, what say you? Yeah. She also said that Omicron was more deadly than, than Delta, which, which <laughs> isn't the case. But, but, you know, what, what bothers me more than the, the factual misrepresentations, whether, whether it was because of an agenda or she just was misinformed or whatever, you know, what, what I don't, I don't expect uh, Supreme court justice, particularly an emergency argument to be, you know, expert uh, social scientists, yes. biological scientists and all the rest. Yes. But what's, what's, what's more important than that uh, is, um, how she said that the federal government has basically a, a general police power to regulate for public health and safety. And talk about assuming that, that OSHA- Talk about that it, it specifically. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I mean, that's that's such a vital thing because I think a lot of folks think about, well, the federal government has a law enforcement, they have they have law enforcement agencies. Talk about the police power and why right. these are two different things. I'm sorry, but go ahead and well, keep, keep on with uh, your let, answer. Let me just, just finish explaining what she yeah. said. She said that as long as we- except that OSHA is constitutional, that there is a federal role for regulating the workplace, then basically OSHA can do whatever it wants, particularly oh. when there's a pandemic and it's a serious situation and it's trying to prevent the spread of the virus in the workplace. That, that's, um, that's effectively what she said. And that's, that's worrying to me because uh, it, it betrays a misunderstanding of the basic structure of power of government yeah. uh, in our country. Um, so the term police power has nothing to do with a cop on the beat. It's kind of a, 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 a phrase, a concept from political philosophy that is the general background power of the sovereign to act, to, to, to give laws, to create laws for the public health, safety, um, uh, welfare, and morals. That's traditionally how it's defined, and it predates the American Constitution. It's not specific to America. It's just a a basic conception of, uh, uh, of what government does. In our system of government, uh, we have dual sovereigns. We have the states and we have the federal government. The federal government gets its powers from the constitution, those powers that are listed uh, in article one, section eight, that's the, the legislative power. Uh, and Congress doesn't have anything more than that. So the power to raise armies and coin money and regulate interstate commerce, those are all enumerated powers that Congress has. And then the executive branch is supposed to enforce those laws that Congress makes, and the judicial uh, branch uh, adjudicates disputes uh, about those laws and between citizens. That's different than uh, state governments. So most of the pandemic, most of the debates that we've been having uh, are about individual rights. It's not a dispute about whether the state of Virginia, where I live, has the power to enforce uh, a lockdown or a vaccine mandate for that matter, uh, or uh, restrict religious services, which has come up even to the Supreme Court. Different states have done that. That hasn't come up in the context of state powers. It's come up in the context of individual rights. 
do I have that my First Amendment right to freely exercise religion or to bear arms? How does that intersect with that state police power to shut down a gun shop to prevent the spread of COVID or to prevent gatherings of people for religious or other purposes? This uh, argument over OSHA's power, the federal yeah. vaccine mandates, is different. Good. Because what we heard on Friday and what this case is based on is not the right of individuals or employers to have freedom of contract or to gather, to assemble, to exercise First Amendment rights. Let's say it's a bunch of journalists trying to get together in a big business and they're being impeded. No, that's not the argument. The argument is where does the federal government have the power, whether through sure. OSHA or otherwise? And before we even get to the constitutional aspect about you know, what I call the constitutional triple threat, uh, there's actually statute, precisely the statute that Sotomayor was talking about in terms of Congress giving OSHA the regulatory authority over workplaces. In that statute itself, it says that OSHA can uh, 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 promulgate emergency rules when there's a grave threat to worker safety and it's necessary for OSHA to intervene. And so the debate is, uh, uh, you know, what is the limit to that power? Because it can't be limitless. And so I think ultimately the Supreme Court is going to block this private sector mandate, not on constitutional grounds, which I'm happy to get into further, but precisely because it goes beyond even uh, the power that that Congress purported to give OSHA. And, get to that. I'm sorry, go ahead, Jerry. But Andrew, also, uh, just to uh, follow up on this, please. Uh, OSHA has only exercised that authority, the uh, grave danger authority, uh, uh, 10 times. Yeah. And, and, and to your point, um, uh, you know, Congress hasn't, there's an issue here of, of Congress. Uh, uh, it must speak clearly, it, even, even for someone like me, who's not a constitutional scholar. Uh, it looks like the, the administrate, the administration is sloppy, excessive, uh, federal agencies can't exercise powers not granted by Congress. But time out which, for a second. And, and Ilya, when you get into this and answer this, talk about the issue of deference and Chevron and how that plays into this. But I'm sorry, Jerry, go ahead. Well, and again, and, and, and we're focused on we're focused on OSHA, but there's a CMS, uh, a CMS um, mandate here as well, mm. uh, 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 that uh, essentially what the administration is saying uh, that anything that the government touches Medicare or Medicaid it could therefore regulate in this in this manner. Right. And which which, again, there's no precedent for this. It, it goes it goes that, it goes, that, Jerry, that's a different issue. Yeah. Um, each. T so, you know, there are multiple federal mandates. There are right. the two that were the subject of the oral argument on Friday, the, the OSHA private sector mandate. Right. And the other one that you just mentioned, the CMS Centers for, for Medicare and Medicaid uh, Services, part of uh, Health and Human Services uh, Department. Uh, and then there's a, a mandate on federal contractors and a right. mandate on federal employees, uh, which includes servicemen. We've, that's been in the news uh, as well. And each one of these has to be analyzed through different both constitutional and statutory principles. Um, I predict in this article and, and generally in other media commentary, I think this is kind of the conventional wisdom that the Supreme Court will block the private sector mandate, but let the healthcare worker, Medicare, uh, Medicaid uh, uh, mandate continue because it's that's not really a mandate that's attaching strings or conditions on federal funding and the federal government can but based on the medicare and medicaid statutes it can say states if you take this funding 
you have to agree to these various strings. Now, there's some yeah, question that, about not changing the rules uh, after the fact, but there is a lot of leeway that states also agree to that say HHS can change uh, uh, again. There, there's yeah. so again that that's that's a federal uh, spending power sure. uh, question rather than one about. Uh, federalism sure. or or state sovereignty, but and again, Andrew, we can get into this later with the yeah. bottom line. But let, let me just real quick on the on the Medicare and Medicaid uh, Medicaid issue, and that is, um, you know, the 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 standard or the 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 rule is is that the administration may be uh, it may be necessary for the efficient administration of Medicare and Medicaid. And the problem here is that uh, by that standard, and again. And any any entity that receives Medicaid or Medicare funding, uh, uh, you know, can be can be can be regulated. Uh, what if what if we decide that obesity or or other issues uh, they can manipulate uh, uh, Medicaid and Medicare, uh, you know, the strings attached. But also, uh, CMS skipped any kind of public comment. Uh, they failed to consider any uh, alternatives, uh, and so and 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 so again it. it I agree with you. Uh, I think you know the the um, the OSHA uh, the OSHA mandate will be struck. But I think what's more problematic uh, is the is the CMS mandate because uh, because uh, again it goes to this thing where you know any entity where the where the government has its its tentacles uh, can be can be so regulated. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a there's a freedom, liberty uh, it, problem there. It, it well, it, there, there, I mean, I, that's the that's you're the first person I've heard who who seems to have more of a problem with the, with the CMS, with the healthcare mandate than, than with the private sector one. But uh, if we can put a pin in that, because I think yeah. Andrew was getting to an important uh, point jurisprudentially about how courts are to uh, whether they're to Thanks. defer to agencies or uh, Congress speaking clearly when it delegates authority. That's called the major questions doctrine. And this uh, came yes. up from many justices during the argument. And so even John Roberts, you know, who's mercurial and tax this way and that. Uh, but he raised the issue that uh, really hearkening back to something that the late Justice Scalia wrote 20 years ago, that Congress does not hide elephants in mouse holes. That is, if there's some major power that it's delegating, setting aside the issue of whether it's constitutional for it to uh, to give away that power to the executive branch, whether Congress or the federal government even has that power in the first place, even, you know, uh, uh, not dealing with that yet. Um, Congress needs to be explicit. If it's really saying that OSHA has the power to regulate 100 million people that, you know, to potentially affect billions and billions of dollars in our economy, Congress better have been pretty damn specific in, sure. in saying exactly that rather than attaching that awesome power onto the thin reed of uh, acting when there's a grave threat. Or uh, as the court said, similarly in parallel, in blocking the CDC eviction moratorium last summer, uh, you can't just say the CDC gets to do anything at all, including yeah. regulating housing, finance, whatever, as long as it's relating to some biological agent. Uh, and so that um, is that troubled many people uh, 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 on uh, uh, many many of the justices on the court, and the way that this plays into the discussion of how much uh, courts should defer to agencies is that on these major questions, uh, courts uh, do not defer to agencies; they determine for themselves. So, Roberts himself, in the King v. Burwell case, which was the statutory challenge to Obamacare in 2015, 
he did not defer to the IRS determination uh, that states established by uh, 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 exchanges established by the state are the same as exchanges uh, established by the federal government. Instead, he himself, this is what he said, the, the courts can, can, can determine that reading to be uh, correct. And so here he was skeptical. Most of the justices were skeptical. And so they're not going to defer because this is a major question. Hey, let me pull this back a little bit, Ilya, because there's a question that I wanted to ask coming back to the very beginning of our discussion, which is talking about Justice Sotomayor's comments, talking about Justice Breyer's comments, at least the way that I look at this. And Jerry and I talked about this uh, uh, earlier on. Um, we're still not going to talk about it later, too. But I want to get your take on this, which is this issue of th this, this shouldn't be a part of, or should it be a part of the high court's discussion, the, how many cases there are, how many kids are on ventilators. These are fact-based questions that should have been determined elsewhere. At least as clear as I understand it, the high court's role in all of this is that they're supposed to look at the law. They're supposed to look at what Congress said. They're supposed to look at precedent and they're supposed to look at the constitution. And that's how they're supposed to come up with their determination. Uh, talk about this and, and, and tell me whether or not I'm, I'm off base here. No, that's right. Those kinds of factual questions go to the severity of the challenge being faced, and therefore, is the government justified in imposing certain kinds of burdens? Uh, those kinds of questions come up all the time when courts, including the Supreme Court, have looked at state or municipal restrictions. So, you know, if, if there's no pandemic, then um, the, a state tries to shut down concerts and theaters or what have you, that's not going to fly. But does it have a good enough reason when there's viral spread, when people get together indoors without sufficient ventilation, et cetera? That's when that sort of thing gets justified and courts do defer more to the uh, expert opinions of the state health authorities, et cetera. It's a different question, again, at the federal government, because the question isn't whether it's justified for the federal government, you know, is the, the pandemic is severe enough, but whether the federal government has the power in the first place. Um, Let me ask. And, go ahead, Jerry. Let me ask you this. The uh, the White House, uh, uh, Joe Biden earlier, uh, right last summer, uh, itself said that the federal government didn't have uh, didn't have standing, didn't have it wasn't the federal it wasn't the federal government's job uh, to impose a vaccine mandate. Does the fact that that the administration that put forward the mandate said earlier, uh, you know, summer of last year that it had no place imposing a mandate. Does that matter at all? Did, did that come up much in the uh, in the oral arguments? Um, Ron Klain, the chief of staff, he retweeted uh, something that uh, that the OSHA mandate was the ultimate workaround. Workaround what? Asked Chief Justice Roberts, and that's the <laughs> constitutional and statutory limits sure. on. Thank you federal power to impose a general vaccine mandate. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's well accepted, even by the White House, that it could just, uh, you know, Thank uh, you. announce every adult has to be vaccinated or something like that. So they're trying to do this, this workaround. Oh, yeah. And that um, is a goes to what constitutional lawyers would look at the the necessary and proper clause, and it's improper for the government to work in this way. Let's talk about this generally, right? Because we, I mean, obviously, we're talking about the Supreme Court. We're talking about COVID, uh, the COVID uh, mandate uh, uh, arguments. But talk about this as a general precept. And uh, you know, you're you're at Cato. Cato is a, a small L libertarian organization. Um, talk about these instances in which the federal government is does these or or those in power 
uh, do these workarounds? Do the, you try to get around things? I mean, I, I spent a lot of time talking about Operation Choke Point, which I thought was a, a way to get around. They couldn't go after uh, payday lenders in certain ways, but they certainly couldn't go after the Second Amendment. Jerry and I talked about this just the other day in terms of, you know, the danger of the high court's arguments on this, or some members of the high court's arguments on this, if they declared firearms and gun violence to be a public health emergency. But talk about this issue generally and how dangerous this is. Yeah, this is part of the modern trend of pen and phone governance, uh, <laughs> as, as came up during, during Obama's good. presidency. But he wasn't the first. Biden's certainly not the first. It's not limited to Democrats. Um, there's this sense that uh, Congress is broken. I'm not sure Congress is broken in, in that way. I mean, legislating yeah. is supposed to be hard. It's broken in the sense that everyone in Congress wants to be a pundit rather than a legislator, which, mm, is, a legislator, right. which is a different issue. Um, but the idea that when Congress doesn't act, the president gets more power, and not just the president, but regulatory agencies. Uh, it's not just executive orders really? from the White House, but it's, it's, you know, so many, you know, many more of our laws by which our daily lives come as regulations from agencies rather than as, as laws from Congress. And that's a problem. Uh, that's also why uh, the Supreme Court, uh, you know, is enveloped in this toxic cloud, because uh, it's called upon to resolve so many both complex policy disputes and clashes of values, um, you know, rather than Congress hashing that out, because Congress has punted those big decisions to the executive branch, which, you know, you can't uh, unelect uh, some bureaucrat, you can only sue them. And so that gets into the courts. But that's this problem of what uh, then Professor Elena Kagan more than 20 years ago called presidential administration is a breakdown in our um, constitutional structure and how our system is supposed to work. You know, we're not supposed to constantly be having these debates, whether in terms of, you know, in the media or in the courts uh, about uh, this or that kind of presidential lawmaking. Laws are supposed to be made by the legislative branch, by Congress, and we're supposed to argue about whether they, they did the right thing or not, and, you know, vote them out if they did the wrong thing. But that's not how it happens against, you know, regardless of which party controls Congress or controls yeah. the White House. Andrew uh, and I have, uh, have uh, often had conversations about the greatest reform, congressional reform, political reform, uh, would simply be Congress returning to regular order where there are debates and committee hearings, uh, testimony, evidence, uh, and then from there make laws. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's right. And you know, one like really kind of geeky reform that might help with that is expanding the size of Congress. Um, you know, not congressional power, I'm not arguing yeah. for big government in that sense, but we've gone away from, you know, congressmen representing like 30,000 people. Now the they're, we're hitting almost an, a million on average, which uh, uh, contributes to polarization. It contributes to gerrymandering. All of these issues, the dysfunction, to the extent we, we, that, that people assail it on, on both sides. If we had, you know, 10 times more congressmen or even five times, you know, go back to 1920. We stopped expanding the size of the House yep. in 1920. Until wow. then, every time there was a new census, they would you know, not just redistribute existing uh, 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 congressional seats, they would add more as the country grew in population. And we haven't done it in 100 years. If we just continued from that 1920 baseline, I think we'd be in a, in a healthier legislative process. So, so with that in mind, though, what say you when folks are talking about, I mean, we're talking about the Supreme Court generally, what say you when folks talk about expanding the high court? Well, I want to understand what the problem that 
proposed okay, reform is supposed to be addressing. Because if it's simply, you know, if you're arguing that the court is illegitimate because President Trump was illegitimate and quote unquote stole the uh, um, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg seat by getting Amy Coney Barrett confirmed and then stole yeah. the uh, uh, you know when Scalia died that should have been Obama's seat you know that's politicizing the court sure. further uh, you know uh, Bernie Sanders none other than him during the uh, during the uh, primaries said that he was against court packing because then when Republicans took power they'd add even more and you know. By 2050, we'd have 87 justices, and, and that, that's not going to work. So <laughs> right. there's no, you know, it's not a constitutional thing. There's no magic to the number nine that we currently have, but we've had it for 150 years. And if you're going to expand the court, it cannot be seen for political reasons, because that's kind of compounding whatever problem of politicization you're trying to identify. Uh, Ilya, before we let you go, uh, the, the book, of course, uh, Supreme Disorder, Judicial Nominations, the Politics of America's Highest Court. Those of you who are watching this, see that I've put the uh, the, the cover up on, on the, uh, the, the the screen. Uh, tell us about the book. Tell us how it's been doing uh, and tell us how we go about solving the, the problem of this Supreme Disorder. Yeah, well, as I said, politics didn't start with uh, with Donald Trump or Barack Obama or George W. Bush or Bush v. Gore or Robert Bork or Roe v. Wade. I mean, <laughs> it's from the very beginning. It's yeah. it's 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 worked its way in, in different ways. What's different now uh, isn't just, you know, the advent of Twitter or even television, uh, but we have divergent interpretive theories mapping onto partisan preference at a time when the parties are more ideologically sorted and polarized than they've been since at least the Civil War. And so there's no, there's no way to compromise. Uh, it'll be interesting the next time. We haven't had in 30 years since uh, Clarence Thomas, uh, a Supreme Court nominee uh, nomination process during a time of divided government when the Senate and White House are controlled by different parties. Mm -hmm. We thought we were gonna have that uh, with Breyer's uh, pending retirement and then President Trump kicked away those two Georgia seats in the special election, so yeah. Democrats maintain control. But well, the, the real test will be the next time that there is that divided government, how that's going to operate. Sure. But I have no easy solutions for this kind of poisonous dynamic that that we have. It's um, it's uh, the politicians are responding to the to the incentives that they face, and uh, ultimately, when you have a federal judiciary that's so powerful and um, irreconcilable views on the type of judges we want to put there, we're, we're going to have that. You know, the, the ultimate solution is to, to enforce federalism and the separation of power. Mm -hmm. So Washington's not deciding so many of the major issues in American life. And within Washington, you have Congress deciding more of those issues rather than the executive branch and then the executive branch being sued and getting it thrown into the courts. That's great sense. Well, Ilya Shapiro, uh, thank you so very much for joining us today. Yeah, thank My you. Pleasure. God bless. Take care. Well, always, always great to have a guest like that on um, uh, Ilya Shapiro. We really appreciate him coming on. Uh, and now, of course, um, because we've now gotten our expert advice, now it's time for the bottom line. <laughs> that was a good speech. Bottom line. Yeah, you're a bottom line man. All right, here's the bottom line. Okay. The bottom line. Now, Jerry, I, 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 I watched you while we were talking with Ilya. Uh, you were, there were things that, that, that were, that you didn't, you didn't like about well, what Ilya had to say. Well, no, look, I agree with him uh, on, on what he says. Um, I think two things. First is we have to break this down 
so mom and pop understands it. Yeah, this is this has been our this has been the our movement's problem uh, uh, from the very beginning, and that is it. it we we can't make the complex con- uh, conversational. We have we have to explain things in a way uh, so people understand it, embrace it, uh, because sure. the left is saying Sotomayor is saying people are dying. We have to get them vaccinated. And, 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 and so therefore, yeah, have a mandate. Wait, but I, maybe, maybe I think maybe as part and parcel and not that we need to produce the what? show while we're on the air, <laughs> but maybe in the future, the, one of the major questions should be maybe in the introductory question should be explain this to me. Like I'm a five-year-old. Well, I, I mean, that's, that's yeah. when I go on the air, um, uh, on, 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 on Sundays. On Sundays, thank you. I forgot who my show was. Uh, I I, I want to explain it. Look, how I talk about yeah. it is less the five year old and more. Uh, it's it, you know, it's it's at my mother's dining room table. Sure. How would how would I talk to Aunt Kathy and Uncle Frank about this? How would I talk to uh, my nieces and nephews, my own children about it? Uh, and, and and but the second thing also was, um, I understand OSHA. The OSHA mandate is getting all the attention. Yeah. But I think what's more insidious, what's more uh, threatening here uh, is the is the CMS uh, is the CMS well, mandate. It, it's interesting because I think a follow up question would have been on that. And I and I thought about asking it, but we were we, we you know promised only keep Ilya for for like sure. 20, 25 minutes because, you know, the, the issue, of course, is and this gets into all of these issues of federalism. And, and Ilya talked a little bit about this and and about sort of reigning in executive branch power and, and standing on things like federalism. But it reminded me of something called the glancing goose theory in environmental law, which okay. was this idea under the Clean Water Act that if a, <laughs> if a yes. goose could fly overhead and look down at a body of water and think about landing in that body of water, it was going to be subject to federal regulation. <laughs> that, and, and, that's exactly right. Yeah. That is ex- that's the problem with the CMS mandate. Yes. Look, the Social Security Act authorizes the uh, HHS secretary uh, to make here. I'm going to quote. I, I wrote it down here. Yeah. Uh, a quote. This is what the law says uh, to make and publish such rules and regulations that may be necessary to be efficient administration. Yeah, that's the line. Yeah. The administration is using uh, to uh, to to impose almost any healthcare regulation it desires as long as it has it comes into connection yeah. with the nexus with medicare Absolutely. and medicaid yes. think about that no no I, I i agree with you it's it is it is incredibly disturbing in terms of the the, the grab of power um you know it, it, but it gets right it gets into what he was saying because i we didn't talk about this at the beginning of the show and i'm glad he mentioned it because it really does become a, a, a i'm sorry the term is major major issue i want to want to put in my glasses back <laughs> the uh, uh major th- this this th- these issues and i and i'm i'm glad he i'm glad Ilya talked about this the idea of you can't you can't hide an elephant in a mouse hole i love it yeah. you know I, yeah. I i i hadn't heard that before but this is exactly what we're getting at here, um, which are these elephants that are being hidden in, hidden in mouse holes, um, especially when you when you talk about it in the context of what Jerry had said during the interview, which is that that there was none of the usual notice and comment that was at work. Now, we understand that this is you know the way emergency rules and regulations work, but but there's a reason why we have an Administrative Procedure Act that governs this that that you know that that exists to protect individual rights i 
I am a firm believer in this. And yes, as we were talking about in the beginning of the show, the issues of workarounds, right? The federal government, the agencies are always looking for workarounds, even around the Administrative Procedure Act. In fact, yeah. that was one of the most, hold on, Jerry, that was one of the most disturbing aspects of the early part of the of the Biden administration. Well, I mean, hold on, say what you yeah. will about Trump, but one of the very early executive orders that they, that they Im- imposed was an order preventing the use of non- uh, procedural uh, uh, guidance documents from acting in, in in the way of the law. The Biden administration got rid of that. They were, you know, they they want these workarounds. I'm sorry, Jerry. Go no, ahead. No, no, no. To follow up on that, so so during an emergency, so essentially, what the, the Biden administration wants is that because we're in a health emergency, uh, uh, it wants um, it wants the court uh, to ignore the fact. Uh, that the uh, that the mandate that the Biden White House uh, did not uh, uh, did not go through the proper administrative process. Uh, there were no um, uh, there were no public hearings. Uh, there were there was no debate uh, because of an emergency. The problem with that emergency or not, right? Uh, federal agencies can't exercise powers not granted to them by yes. Congress. Absolutely. And that's, true. I mean, so because if, if, if all you could say, Andrew, and this is the obvious, right, yep. low hanging fruit, if all you have to say is emergency, well, then look, we have an obesity emergency. Yes. Uh, we have, we have a, a gun violence. We have a gun violence. Emer- I mean, the government can come in. Uh, uh, the Green New Deal can be implemented through emergency uh, emergency orders. We may, uh, Jerry, we may resist the temptation to concentrate power in one location as the expedient solution to the crisis of the day. Again, prevailing Supreme Court case law from from less than a half century ago. Go ahead. No, uh, but uh, this is where my hope is for our friends on the left. Yeah. Uh, you know, just because the tyrant is doing what you like doesn't mean he or she might not turn on you. Yes. Later. I remember during the Obama years, uh, especially towards the end, uh, during uh, during uh, the uh, during the uh, the administration, the Obama administration's uh, many, many times it actually broke the law when it oh, yeah. came to Obamacare. And I remember doing a piece. And, and making the argument because uh, uh, Donald Trump was uh, emerging in the primaries. And I said, imagine a scenario yes. where Donald Trump is the president. That's right. And he's making these executive orders or he's untethered from the law. Right. And, and remember, none of us, none of us had any indication that Donald Trump would actually move to shrink the size and scope of federal executive branch power. But, 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 but by the same token, right, which is the thing that the left was constantly warning us about and, and hoping for, frankly, during the Trump administration, right? Remember you had pundits who were like, Oh, just, just wait for it. Conservatives, Donald Trump's going to turn on you. Wait for it. Evangelicals, Donald Trump's going to turn on you. Now they were wrong in, in many respects, up until the Georgia senatorial elections, but set right. that aside. But but that's but that's and that's not what we're not what we're talking about here. Jerry Ilya said something, and I've been turning it over in my head ever since he said it. Which is, we you know we asked, we talked about <laughs> solutions, and one of the things that he suggested was expanding the yes. size of the House of Representatives. 
And we asked him, I asked him about this in the context of the high court. And he said, well, you know, it would depend on what you're talking about. Why? What's the justification? Well, his answer, his answer on packing the court was exactly right. Yes, of course. That is what problem are you trying to fix? Yes. If it's simply you're politicizing, weaponizing the court. Well, then, no, there's no reason to expand it. But if there was a if there was a, an issue, a problem that needed to be addressed, then well, he would consider it. It's, it's like time out for a second. It's yeah. like, right. We, we talk about the problem of of the, the lack of responsiveness. I literally had this conversation with one of my kids yesterday, the lack of responsiveness in the United States Senate. Right. We, we call both sides, depending on who's in power, both sides call the Senate the, 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 the place where, where bills go to good bills go to die. Um, and we know that the remedy to the, that problem, one of the remedies could be the repeal of the 17th Amendment and, and you know get rid of the direct election of United States senators and get them appointed by state legislatures once again. I, I'm, although, I'm, although, you know what? You always mention this. I do. I know. Uh, I, I'm going to push back a little bit. And only because, I, I, look, I think you're right. I, I don't think um, I, would, I would be with you. I would have I opposed uh, the amendment, but I'm not sure if state legislators are any are any better than uh, than the people in terms of of, of understanding the, the interest. So uh, uh, here, so but so but right, but, and this is good because it gets us into what Ilya was talking right, about. Go ahead. But so so in New Jersey, uh, the state legislature there has uh, gerrymandered and has created districts where they're guaranteed a progressive majority. Yes. So therefore that. The new the New Jersey legislature, even in Maryland, right? Uh, Maryland's a, a, a you know a blue state, uh, but it's it, there's no way that Democrats should control Annapolis to the extent that they do, but for gerrymandering and and understanding the process. So, do you think, in, in terms of the 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 Annapolis or Trenton, would they uh, appoint senators? It's that no, they wouldn't necessarily appoint senators that would be any better. But it is much easier to carp to um, who was the guy you were just talking about who was just on uh, on over the weekend um, uh, on WBL over the weekend the, the delegate who was the delegate McRae oh uh, uh, Corey McRae yes Corey McRae isn't it easier to carp to Corey McRae yes, about right. what Ben yes, Cardin yes, is doing yes. I okay. agree. You know what? No, Ultimately, you're right. All right, see, no, 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 no. This is great. We just had a little mini argument. Oh uh, yeah. And I was pushing back. And at the end, now I think you're right because I worked for a member of the of the state legislature. And you know what was would happen all day long, all day long. Uh, yes. People would come in all day and talk to and talk to him. But but let's 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 bring us back to what he said though. Yeah, in that, terms yes, of, go ahead. Right, so so his answer. Perhaps I talked about how returning to regular order, yes. simple, uh, simple, regular order, bills introduced, committee hearings, uh, timelines, schedules and all the rest of it. If we did this in the Congress, uh, we would be better off. Yes. Uh, and he and, and he mentioned that, well, you know, we haven't had an expansion of the members of Congress, the number of members of Congress uh, since the 1920s. Uh, and he said, if we if we did that, then perhaps uh, we'd have better representation. My my initial thought on that is is four hundred and thirty five is bad enough. Absolutely, true. having a thousand eighty five hundred, yes, whatever number it might be. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if that's a good thing. I I would I would have I would push back in this way. I would I say, never do math on the air, but I want to I want to get I want to find I, I need to figure out how many how many would be for three hundred and thirty million. 
Go but ahead, thing, Jerry. But the thing is, is I, 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 I understand his point. And if it could be done in a way where, where, where districts were 30,000 or 50,000, I'm not sure, uh, you know, what the, Jerry, what, Jerry, if, if we went back to 30,000 per district, we would need 11,000 members of Congress. I know my, are you kidding me? <laughs> no, right. I just did the math. Yeah. I mean, that is just insanity. Maybe a better, a better idea. We would need a mini Congress within the Congress. <laughs> Maybe a better, right. Yeah. yeah a Politburo uh, within the, within sure, the Congress. Yes. We would need, I, I think a better idea is to go back and, and, and what we need to do is the, and, and this is why build back better is, is, is so bad. Why Obamacare uh, is so bad. We there, the feds have their tentacles in too much of our, local lives the federal government interferes and and intervenes in too many local issues and this is why i was so appreciative of his of his explanation of this concept of the police power but listen i want to be really clear i i I appreciate uh uh, Ilyas shapiro coming on and talking about this um i understand the idea that he's getting to i understand the idea of having more responsive members of congress um and and maybe having much greater and different expertise uh, coming into the Congress, there is a real unworkability. And I know he's not talking about putting in, creating a Congress of 11,000 people. Um, but even if we went to a thousand members, you know, there are the argument then is, is that with a thousand members, okay. So what you do is you, you take Baltimore city or uh, yeah. per se, uh, or for example, uh, not per se, for example, and, and, uh, and you create, uh, it, there, there are there are roughly what uh, 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 five hundred thousand, yeah. a little over almost six hundred thousand. Say you know five hundred thousand, yeah. uh, uh, and so you just uh, you just you just uh, you know, separate and carve up Baltimore City. And what you do is you just create uh, uh, fifty districts for Absolutely. progressives. Yeah, you no, know, again, there are unintended consequences that are at work here. I, I understood what he what he's getting at. I yeah. just I, I think that the unintended consequences would sort of outweigh or, any or or any or maybe I'm wrong, right? Um, uh, in Baltimore City, I think I I think there's about twenty percent registered Republicans. So maybe what you do is is you 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 break up that population in such a way that that twenty percent is represented uh, by those who he, 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 yeah. since we're thinking out loud. Yeah, please. Maybe what we should do is instead of changing uh, the number of members of Congress, we should let uh, we should let the boundaries of states shift every census. That's interesting. That's an interesting idea. Right. I mean, I mean, no, 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 no. It's funny because, again, talking to my younger one yesterday about issues of government reform, they were talking in, in their class about the Electoral College and they realized that, you know, this this system isn't perfect, but every system comes with its problems, right? The other option is to just do legislative districts based purely on geographic boundaries, yeah, and 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 sort of getting away from. I like that. I, I do and, like that. Can choose. I mean, all of but all of these things, right? It all get. But one of the things that gets back to something that I I wasn't really part of the discussion with Ilya, but the issue of of we need we just need we need better people running for office. Yes. Well, you know, again, thinking yeah. out loud, maybe what we should do instead of changing state boundaries, uh, maybe fifty states is too few a number. 
yeah. you know, may, like maybe Cal, maybe California. California, California should be seven different states. Yes. Uh, New York should be three states. New Jersey should be two states. Uh, Maryland shouldn't be a state. I mean, we should do no. a show on that <laughs> issue. I mean, it's funny. I'm reminded of this because I was briefly was we were talking. Now, I'm just thinking out loud. I'm, not, no, advo- I'm not advocating this. I'm just thinking just, out loud. You know, this is this is the kind of conversation to have with uh, the, uh, the Clay Jenkinson, the 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 world uh, the nation's foremost Thomas Jefferson scholar who I well this is what, this is the conversation we would have if you and I were professors okay okay we yes. would, we would so have our pipes and our in our in our in our adult beverage and we talk about <laughs> we talk about um uh, changing uh changing uh changing right. the number of states so let's 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 sort of close this out I mean the the idea is I think we've come to the conclusion right Jerry that we we need to have this greater emphasis on the Supreme Court doing the job that the Supreme Court is supposed to do. Well, you know what? He said something that uh, the Ilya said something that we have yeah. to emphasize. It, it, it was um, it was uh, it was brilliant. And in, in how I you know, I, I like the idea of making the complex conversational. He yeah. did say one. He did. He said this one thing that really that, that, that I've gone over in my mind since we just talked to him a few minutes ago. And that is, he said, the courts are supposed to be. Uh, bulwark. He didn't say. Yeah, I'm, I'm that. paraphrasing for bulwark. him. Uh, against uh, uh, majoritism, is yes. majority, yeah. majoritarian, majoritarianism. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I and and that's true. Look for my friends on the on the left uh, who make a fetish out of democracy. Mm. Democracy is <laughs> is you know you can we can have a democracy and 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 vote in a tyrant. Yes. And so th- that's why it's the rule of law. Uh, we're a nation of laws, not a, a nation of, of, of people or, or, or men. Right. We need we need to uh, we need to be adhere. Uh, we need to adhere to the law. My hope is. With this with this you know, yes. verbal salad is the Supreme Court, I pray, I hope comes back nine zero because it's tethered to the law. Of course, the law is clear here. The OSHA mandate is unconstitutional, illegal, uh, wrong, and immoral. Uh, and the uh, CMS mandate uh, is, in my mind, even worse and therefore yes. more obvious should be uh, should be uh, struck. But we'll see what the court does. By the way, I pulled this up, Jerry. One of my favorite expressions, democracy, two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. <laughs> so you, you, can, yeah. you can see that there. Um, hello, I want to stop that. There we go. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I I have a feeling, and you know, something we should do that prediction. I, I do predict the court's going to come back and reject the ocean mandate. Uh, I think they're going to split the baby, and they're going to find it, and it, it'll they they may weigh in on certain aspects of the CMS mandate, um, and they're going to make some. They're going to they're going to sort of talk about it being a narrow interpretation um, because they don't want to again they don't want to hide a an elephant in a mouse hole. So remember this though, if they come back wrong on the CMS mandate. So if there is a health facility that receives Medicare, Medicaid funding, uh, if your mom uh, is on Medicare, uh, if you look Medicaid, remember Medicaid is no longer healthcare for the poor. I mean, there are in the state of Maryland, uh, you can have, you know, you can earn a hundred thousand dollars uh, and still have uh, Medicaid benefits for your children. Uh, you can have a special needs child. Oh yeah, you can make, you can make a million dollars a year, have a special needs child, uh, and and receive some Medicaid benefit. So if anything that touches Medicaid, uh, you can you can you, you can regulate that person. So okay, so if 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 you're on Medicaid, uh, and again, Medicaid is not just for 
uh, unwed mothers uh, Gary, in the Bronx. Uh, the the, the not, government. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that this is what I think the Supreme Court is going to do. Well, it breaks my heart. Yeah, I mean, listen, because I, you know, I'm I'm someone who thought it was very clear on its face that the Affordable Care Act should have been overturned. It but even there, to- Ilya said something very interesting there, yeah. uh, where 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 he said that uh, Justice Roberts um, did not rely upon other people's the the agency's interpretation yeah. or, or and i that, that again a very interesting um yeah. uh, 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 um understanding of how that decision uh, came about uh which again puts it in perspective i don't think roberts was correct but still it's an interesting uh, an observation um in my mind the the they're look they're both equal in terms of of uh, of 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 being harmful. Oh, you know something real quick because I, I want to I want to I want to say say something on that score because I think during our discussion you guys you I think you got the sense that he was being dismissive of the CMS situation um and and I think for you the CMS thing is more important. I think part of it is because of the the field in which you work, you know, in terms of the health issue and I think you you have a different focus on that, which which is know. why the OSHA would be more yeah. interesting to you because of yes. your background in regulatory affairs. A- absolutely, and and so I want to. I don't think he was being. I think he was. No, I agree. No, you're right. Yeah, of so, course. All right, yeah, I just yeah. want to make sure. Yeah. Hey, so let's shift gears, Jerry, um, um, because we got a couple of minutes left. There have been a couple of uh, of other things that are going on. Uh, we we would be remiss if we did not comment in some way, shape, or form on the passing of of Bob Saget. Um, comedian uh, extraordinary. We're going to get to Elvis's birthday in a minute, Jerry. Uh, uh, hold on. Yeah, let me uh, let me share this. This is Jimmy Kimmel last night uh, talking about Saget. Hi. Before we start the show, before the audience shows up, I wanted to say a few words about Bob Saget. If you read anything about Bob online last night, if you saw any of the many thoughts from people who knew him personally, a word that came up a lot was uh, the sweetest. And uh, Bob was the sweetest. He was the sweetest man. Um, And the reason people wrote that is because it's true. It's the best word. If you had to pick one word to describe him, that was it, sweetest. I have so many wonderfully kind and supportive uh, texts and emails, calls from Bob. He always had a compliment. He would write sometimes just to tell me he loved me, and I know he he did that for many people. He was so funny, and I'm not talking about Full House or America's Funniest Home Videos or stand-up comedy or movies. I mean funny for real. Like when you walked into a party, you saw Bob and his wife Kelly in, in the corner, you go straight to them and stay for as long as you could because he had something funny to say about everything and nothing bad to say about anyone. Um. I don't need to play his stand-up, Jerry. Were you at all a were you at all a Saget fan? Um, look, uh, <laughs> sorry to put but, you on the spot. Well, I mean, I, I mean, no, no, no. Was I a fan? No. Uh, uh, did I appreciate his humor? Uh, and also later, how he kind of reinvented himself uh, in terms of of, of reinventing his humor because uh, he was seen as the square, the good guy, uh, and. And 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 uh, and uh, his his humor was 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 bluer, more complicated uh, than his uh, than his uh, character on Full House. It's funny you say that because okay, and I am going to pull this up then. My first. Okay, can I just say one thing real quick? Though? Please go ahead. 
because I, I, I can't watch Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel uh, and, and Sorry. think, and think anything other than that. He's the worst person in the world. Okay. Uh, again, Jimmy Kimmel getting all choked up. Uh, makes me want to gag. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, because right. Jimmy, Jimmy, because go back and think of all the nasty nastiness from Jimmy Kimmel uh, when okay. it came to politics and those uh, those politically he opposed the harshness, the nastiness of Jimmy Kimmel. Here's my point. Yeah, I don't have to. I don't have to agree with Jimmy Kimmel on things. I just, I, I just, you, you, we should be, we should be consistent. I, well, listen, I and I and I play Kimmel because it was something that was that was Kimmel is also nice mocked, about Saget. About, you know, when conservatives you know, have had, you know, Kimmel has when, when conservatives have died or conservative actors have died. Absolutely. Kimmel has mocked them. Sure. But, I mean, so. But I played it. I had to say it. it was, I'm sorry. Was, I'm sorry. It, it was I played it because it was clean. My first. Introduction I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't allow Jimmy Kimmel in my house to have a drink. Right. Well, OK. That's, <laughs> that's, you know, my first introduction to, to Bob Saget was Uh-oh. 1984. Dangerfield's young comedian special. And I, I can't play all of, I can't play much of this, but I can play the beginning of it. Um, well, this is before for the audience, right? Yes. He look, look, just this like Seinfeld and all those guys in the yeah. late seventies, early eighties, uh, Saget was part of that group but let uh, me, of those, of, of those and comedians. And tee this up. This young comedian special was the ninth annual Dangerfield's young comedian yeah, yeah. special. And it was the seminal one because it introduced everybody to Saget and Sam Kinison and Louis Anderson and a voiceover artist named Maurice LaMarche, who I adore and Rita Rudner, et cetera. Um, but, but here is, here is Saget's uh, just the beginning of his set. What, a, what I can play out of this. Thank you guys. You're a wonderful audience. You really are. I'm not just kissing up. I'm really not. I swear. I'm, I'm slobbering all over you is what I'm doing. Cause I need you to like me real bad. Cause I have no act and I have no life and I have no future. I'm serious. <laughs> my mom is Gumby. My dad is Pokey and I'm Mr. Potato Head. So I talk real oh, I- fast. If you have any drugs, take them now. I'm so-, so anyway, so he, so it's funny you say that because I, I knew him. I had known him as a, as a, as a filthy comedian, that wasn't how he made his, you know, that wasn't how he cut his teeth early. That's the funny thing. So I mean, I'm sorry. He hired, when he was hired as host of America's Funniest Home Videos, I made this point yesterday to, to John Justice and Drew Lee. Uh, you know, when he was hired as a host of AFE, I'm like, wait a minute, Saget, who facet, I mean, listen, his comedy could be very dirty. They hired him to host the ABC, hired him to host this, this squeaky clean show. Yeah. And, 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 I, and it occurred to me, Jerry, that. That could not happen today. That if, if, if no, you're right. Had been, Where's had, the dinger? Yes. Thank you. He'd been hired to host dancing with the stars. Um, somebody would have gone back and talked right. about all of the various sick molestation. The, humor the, 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 right. The, the, look, 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 Saget was more, was more like when he played himself yes. on, uh, on entourage. Uh, yes. Yes. But absolutely. for many people, who only knew Saget from Full House and from America's uh, Funniest Home Videos? When 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 he was on the uh, when he was on Entourage, it was like, who's this guy? Yeah, yeah, right, absolutely, that's and, exactly uh, it. Yeah, but the bottom line is, is that you know we should do a show someday on the, that that early set of comedians who came of age again, late seventies, sure. early eighties, and on Jerry Save Comedy really uh and and and, but you're right about this bob saget couldn't have been bob saget now no because someone would have taken old clips and old this and old that he would never have gotten a gig at 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 a a show like full house or america america's america's funniest homes yeah
Yeah, we wind up watching the uh, the the roast of Saget. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I did too. See, I'm like you. Time. I went yeah. back. I, I watched that clip there. Um, look, the, the bottom line is this: artists and comedians. Uh, I don't have to agree with them politically. I'm sorry about my comments on, on Jimmy. No, Kimmel. don't go apologize. But, 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 but I, Jimmy I Kimmel was was one of the worst offenders of of nastiness and meanness no. to those who politically disagreed with him. And, you know, even this morning I woke up and, you know, my, you know, on, uh, on, uh, on my social media, you know, uh, Jimmy Kimmel brought the tears. And I was like, you know no. what? I was like, screw Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. Well, all right. Speaking of. Um, oh, can I just say one thing? Yeah. A genuine people uh, on, on Bob Saget, uh, the best commentary, the best, the best thing I've read on this, uh, Erica shared it with me. My wife shared it with me. Um, uh, Peter Heck. Okay. Who, who's a, uh, who's a political pundit. Yeah. Uh, 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 wrote a wrote a piece for not the B. Yes. And more or less said this. He said, look, he said, uh, look at uh, his text messages right before he died. Yeah. Uh, look at that. He was you know, with his kids and he was living life. He was planning yeah. his next show. And then and then he died. Yeah. Not guaranteed tomorrow. Absolutely. And so this idea ding, uh, that, ding, Peter, ding. that Peter Heck was talking about was focus on, on what's important. Uh, and, and, and also focus on the next life uh, and, you know, what's your relationship with God? Uh, because 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 it doesn't end now. So uh, and, and, and so, you know, focus on the things that are going to bring you eternal life. Speaking of of that and how we're not guaranteed, there was a major birthday over the weekend. Um, talk talk about that, Jerry. Oh, <laughs> well, there were two, by the way. OK, Elvis Presley, the most important, of course, was Saturday. January 8th was Elvis's 87th birthday. We woke up to Elvis music and fried banana and peanut butter sandwiches. Uh, later on in the day, we had um, country fried steak and fried cabbage. Um, and, and this uh, is why Jerry was unreachable on Saturday. And I then and then we had uh, we had uh, uh, we had um, uh, banana pudding uh, and we listened to Elvis all day. We watched Elvis all day. Listen, Elvis Presley is the greatest yeah. entertainer to walk the face of the earth. Uh, he did everything first. Uh, he, he brought the blues, right? Uh, 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 that was, uh, that was in, uh, uh, hidden from mainstream America. Uh, and he took the blues and made it mainstream. Uh, yeah. He was the first to have bling. Look at his rings. Look at his outfits. Oh, yeah. There is no Harry Styles without Elvis Presley. Sure. There, right? There is no, he was the first to do Unplugged, right? His 1968 comeback special, uh, his music from gospel to blues to rock and roll to country uh, is is uh, just in terms of the uh, how eclectic it was. Jerry. And and more than anything else, the greatest voice, the great the greatest talent ever uh, to record music is, in this country is Michael J. Fox, the anti Elvis. That's so funny. Elvis needs votes. <laughs> I played that. I play. <laughs> <laughs> Elvis is everywhere, baby. Elvis is everywhere. Now, the other birthday, of course, was uh, on the ninth. Uh, Jimmy Page turned seventy-eight, oh, and I was go. inspired yes. by you. Yeah. Uh, on my Sunday show, uh, I did a I did a a question. Uh, uh, who's the greatest guitar player <laughs> of the all way, time? By the way, while we're on this subject, um, obviously I have no monopoly, no monopoly on the musical question on the air. No, but zero, you, zero monopoly. On but this. but you know, in terms of what I listen to. You were the first to do it. Yeah, but but my point is, is that obviously Jerry has my full permission and blessing <laughs> to do a musical question on his show, without a doubt. Jerry, can we can we go on? Do we do we have to play the uh, the Elvis uh, JC's thing? Because we are 
We've been going for quite a long time. I'll just play real quick. All right. Okay. Come on. You got to play it. All right. I love so, this. So, I love so this. Set, it's set, it's set like 17 seconds. How long is it? This is Elvis Presley getting the young man, uh, 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 the young man, outstanding young man of the year award. Let's listen. Let's do his words here. Oh, we have to play the whole thing. Oh, so I can skip, fast forward skip, through it. Skip through. I'll tell you when to stop. Go, 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 go. Oh, well, go back. Go back. Right there. All right. All right. Hold on. Let me go back. There right we go. there. Elvis Aaron Presley, 35, musician, entertainer, Memphis, Tennessee. The success of Presley is a phenomenon of the entertainment right, Hold on. World. That's not him speaking. Let me get him speaking. Right. Oh, there he is. Right. There he is. Let's go. Considerable publicity. Here we go. Come on, Elvis. Here he is. Book, I was the hero of the comic book. I saw movies and I was the hero in the movie. So every dream that I ever dreamed has come true a hundred times. And these gentlemen over here, you see these type of people who care, who are dedicated, you realize that it's not possible that they might be building the kingdom of heaven. It's not too far-fetched in reality. I'd like to say that uh, I learned very early in life that without a song, the day would never end. Without a song, a man ain't got a friend. Without, without a song, the world would never bend. Without a song. So I'll keep saying a song. Good night. Thank you. There you go. And actually, that's a really that's a really great way to to to, to end it. You, you you think about this, Jerry. Real quick though. Isn't that interesting? So it's 1971. I love that guy, about, by the way. I, I love about, Elvis Presley. You think about where America was vis-a-vis <clears throat> Elvis, and where the establishment was vis-a-vis Elvis in 1957, and yeah. where he was in 1971. That's a remarkable arc. I, it I is. Would... And, 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 you know, and he was, you know, uh, a couple years later, uh, he, uh, or just around the same time he went, uh, did a, uh, did a gig at Madison square garden. And they asked him that question and, you know, Hey, you were this country boy controversial, uh, and, and look at you today. And he did two things. He stood up and showed him this, this gold belt worth a million bucks around his waist. He said, well, the country boy, I'm not sure about the country boy anymore, but then he said, well, I'm going to sit down. Cause I do remember those early days. If I stand up, I get in trouble. Uh, but he refused. They asked him specifically. This is this is about seventy three, and they asked him specifically what did he what was his take on 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 the the uh, the new music, you know the uh, the uh, Jimi Hendrix or Led Zeppelin, all those. And he said he and he, he was to the you know he, what a great man he was. He said that it's all great. Yeah, it's all wonderful. Um, and I'll say this one last thing because there's so much. Again, so much misinformation about Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley, you look at it, that's what that was 1971. All right. You look at Elvis Presley, 72, 73, 74, 75, even 76. Uh, This man was beautiful. This idea that, uh, yes, during the last several months of his life, because of health issues and that sort of thing, um, he, 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 he had bloated up a little bit. Uh, But there was never really a period of fat Elvis. I, I I don't mean to make a joke of all this. But uh, you go, you go and look at the uh, special from by o- today's standards, Jerry. Know, right. But go look at the Aloha, you know, Elvis from Hawaii. Uh, I mean, this guy was. I mean, go look at Elvis Presley in Madison Square Garden. Uh, this man was just something. I, I, I tell you, I think about it. I'm, I mean, think about if Elvis Presley walked into the room. I get the sense that they'd be like, uh, like all yeah, around him. Absolutely. You know there are people who are like that. Listen, Jerry, I think we have to we have to end it there. All right, folks. The podcast is up everywhere now. 
everywhere. So it's on Apple Just Podcast. like Elvis. Yeah, Elvis the podcast everywhere. is everywhere. Podcast, Elvis Andrew is everywhere. Jerry Save the World is everywhere. It, it, on, on, the, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Amazon, on Google, on uh, really, and obviously on Transistor, our website. What we need you to do is we need you to share the podcast with people. We need you to let people know that it's out there. We need you to leave five-star reviews. Uh, and then also, obviously, join our social media, um, uh, twitter.com, uh, at, I'm sorry, it's at AJ Save the World on Twitter, facebook.com slash AJ Save the World. Join us there. We're constantly putting stuff up on the Facebook pages. Uh, Jerry, what do, you, what, what, do you, what do you got in closing? Uh, know the truth, right? I say this all the time. Um, whether it's the Supreme Court and vax, vax, vax mandates, uh, whether it's entertainers, it's it, we gotta we gotta be focused on what's true and what's right. And have a great week, everybody. Have fun and stay safe.